Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. How many of you have ever been in a situation? It's really, they're normally very uncomfortable situations like this. Like you're with a group of people and um, the conversation starts going in a direction that's not very God-honoring and you know it and you're, you're, feeling, you're squirming a little bit because you can see where it's going. Maybe somebody starts gossiping about someone else. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe there's some off-color joke or some racial something. or and, and, you, and you're like really tense in that moment. Have you ever been there and you don't really know what to do? There's one side of you that says, what I should do is I should stop this conversation and I should, uh, you know, should to be the, you know, the person who speaks up and says something and changes the direction of the conversation. Or maybe I just need to politely remove myself. But you're caught in that moment and you don't really know what to do. And so you just kind of go with the flow. You, you don't really make any comments or anything, but you're there and you're frozen kind of in fear of what others might think. If you were to say something or move or go away or something like that, and so you, rather than face those fears, you stay there. And later you think about it, and you thought, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I get up? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I do the right thing? But in a moment, that, that tension was palpable, and you just, you just couldn't seem to, to do anything about it. You ever been there? Yeah. Like, it's really uncomfortable, isn't it, to be in that situation? And generally speaking, the reason we don't is that in that moment, we fear what others are going to think about us if we do that. And that fear is so real. Today we're going to kind of talk about this whole idea of, of being careful that we don't move into a people-pleasing mode, like this need for approval that many of us have. And we start trying to find our identity in pleasing others. And we suffer for what for uh, what uh, John Ortberg, he's a pastor and author, calls approval addiction. Now think about that. When you think of addiction, like someone who's an alcoholic, the addiction, that, that need for the next drink, or a drug addiction where that need for the drug, but he said there's something that a lot of us suffer from. We don't have meetings to go to because of it, but it's, a, it's an, a, an approval addiction. Now here, he kind of defines it. I'm going to kind of share you with you what he says it is, uh, and this is from the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, some people live in bondage to what others think about them. The addiction takes many forms. If we find ourselves being hurt by what others say about us, by people expressing other than glowing opinions about us, we probably have it. If we habitually compare ourselves with other people, if we find ourselves getting competitive in the most ordinary situations, we probably have it. If we live with a nagging sense that we're not important enough or special enough or we get envious of another's success, we probably have it. If we keep trying to impress important people, we probably have it. If we think others may think ill of us should he, he or she find out that we are an approval addict, we probably are. It's something that's real. I mean, we want, I think all of us would say, I want to be a God pleaser, but our lives would probably show when we're faced in that moment of, you know, that crossroads or what we're going to do, many of us are going to go toward pleasing other people rather than pleasing God. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that actually contrasts 
a, a, a God pleaser with some people pleasers. And it's, and it's a story found in John chapter 9, and it's a really interesting story of Jesus doing a miraculous healing on this blind man, and it has some, it's, it, the story unfolds in a way that you're going to see that there are definitely two types of people. So let me kind of set up the story, and we'll read a little bit from John chapter 9. There's a man who's been born blind, and Jesus is in, and his disciples are traveling through, and his disciples ask Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? Now, I'm going to pause for that, okay, because a lot of people are really messed up theologically in this way, where, where we look at people with certain circumstances and assume it's because of some sort of sin. Now, it could be, but a lot of times it's just the circumstances of life. And in this case, he'd been born blind. And Jesus said it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin. It's to show the power of God. God was going to do something miraculous. And so Jesus does an unusual healing. He spits on the, on the ground and makes some mud and puts it on the guy's eyes. And he tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And he does, and now he can miraculously see. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so the guy comes back, and the people are looking at us and said, isn't that the guy that's, that, you know, we've seen him every day out there probably begging for money because he's blind. Isn't that the guy that we know that's blind? And some people said, no, it's not, not him, it's, it's just somebody that looks like him. And so finally, they bring this guy to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to give you the backdrop on the Pharisees. These are the guys, we talk about them a lot. Jesus would have run-ins with these guys all the time because they were Jewish religious leaders who are kind of like very pious, self-righteous guys, and they were hypocrites. And Jesus, really, it bothered him, and so he would get in these confrontations with these guys. So they bring this blind guy back to the Pharisees, and Jesus happens to have healed him on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a day, of, uh, it was the day of a holy day that God had set aside, um, and the religious, Jewish religion, uh, religious people followed that um, because that was part of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, as we know in the New Testament, Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and, uh, and so Jesus knew what had to be done in that moment, and so he healed the guy. So anyways, this causes a big ruckus as you can imagine with the religious leaders and so we're going to pick up in john chapter 9 and um and we're going to start in verse 13 i believe was where we're at let me just double check that before i start reading right chapter 9 verse 13 okay so it says they took the man who had been blind to the pharisees because it was on the sabbath that uh that jesus had made the mud and healed him the pharisees asked the man all about it so he told them he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? Now, you're going to see that the parents, okay, are the people pleasers. And here's how they respond. And the parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced 
that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they, that's why they said he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him. God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Now watch, this, this guy is not a people pleaser. He's a God pleaser and he gets, he, he, he gets right in their face. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Now, now they're really mad. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Now, in that story, what you see is a classic case of a people, some people pleasers and a God pleaser. And again, I think every one of us would, would say, I want to please God first before I please anyone else. And that strug- the struggle is real. So let, let me just kind of give you two things here. The first one is going to kind of show you what you, it, it kind of distinguish whether or not you are a people pleaser or not. And then what a God pleaser looks like. So the people, here's how you know if you're a people pleaser. The people pleaser's first question, that is hard to say. People pleaser's first question is this. Here's, how does this affect my position, reputation, or status? Whenever they're in a situation, they're evaluating how they're going to respond with this question. How does this affect my position, reputation, or status? How does this affect me? What I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, how's it going to look in the eyes of others? How's this going to affect me in their eyes, my reputation, my status, my position? How's it going to do? Now, there, there, it, the Bible is clear. We need to care about our reputation. We should care about what others think. The Bible says that a great name is greater than, than great riches. It's better than great riches. So it's good to have a good reputation, but that can't be the first question you ask. It can't be, what are others going to think about this, or how will they view me? The first question has always got to be, how will this glorify God? That, there's a difference. But that's what people pleasers ask, and, and what happens is we become, we, we become um, image managers because we want to look good. Right? We want to make sure that I present myself well so that you like me better. And so when we, get, we, we go on our social media and we want to manage our image. And so we take a selfie and we look at it and we go, well, I don't really like that. I don't look good. And then we take another and another. And we can do 20 iterations before we find one and go, that one looks right. Okay. And then we take it and then we go, wait, before I put it online, I better put the filter on it because I see some blemishes. And so I want to present myself looking perfect because it's all about image management. How do you perceive me? 
because how you perceive me is how I get my value. So I want you to perceive me highly because then my value will be very high. So how do you like me now, basically, when I put that out there on the social media? So then, again, I want to look good all the time. I don't want anybody to know I got any flaws. So I go on my Facebook, I go on my Twitter, and I'm like, I'm living my best life now. Uh, hashtag blessed, right? But my life is train wreck, but I'm not going to admit it because I want to look good so that you think that I've got it all together because if you do, then you might like me more. So my first question when I'm faced with a situation is, is, is how is this going to affect me, my reputation, my position, my status? And that's a dangerous place to be because it says in Proverbs 29, in verse 25, it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. I have found in my own life, when I first try to please people, I rarely please God. When my first thought is how will this affect me, my reputation, my position, my status, then I rarely will please God. Now when we go back to the story, we're going to look at the parents. And I want you to see what their first question really is, okay? His parents reply, because they, they're like, like, like how, does this, how did this happen? The religious leaders, how did this happen? Is that your really your son? And here's what they say. We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Apparently he's, he's of, you know, 18 or older, 20, whatever he is. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So their first question when they're faced with a situation, is how is this going to affect my status? Because they're going to get excommunicated if they say, well, Jesus is the Messiah, and obviously he's of God because he healed our son. They don't do that. They shrink in fear in that moment. And think about this. Their son's born blind. I can't imagine how difficult, if I was a parent, how I would be praying that God would miraculously heal my child if they were born blind, because that's got to be terrible uh, to be born blind. And so I would imagine these parents, since the day he was born up until that day, probably were praying every day that God somehow, some way, would miraculously heal their son and he would get his sight. And Jesus comes into town and through a very unusual way of healing, heals their son, answers the prayer, and a day that should have been rejoicing, a day that should have been like celebration, they are now throwing their son under the bus. He's old enough, ask him. We don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. Let's just keep it quiet. That's when you know you got it. Like when you're given an opportunity, that would have been the perfect opportunity to say, yeah, that's our son. He was, he was blind. He could see this guy, Jesus. He's awesome. He healed our son. We've been praying. God answered the prayer. Man, let's all celebrate. Now, the Pharisees probably would have had a heart attack at that moment and then thrown him out of the synagogue, but they didn't do that, right? They just like, hey, we don't know. Our hands are off of this situation. You want to know? Ask him. It's very, very, a lot of us, we read that and go, that's, no, I wouldn't have done that, but, but we're put in a lot of situations where we do the very same thing. We're so concerned about how this is going to affect us that we just keep our mouth shut or we, do, or we just go along with the flow and whatever because we're afraid of what others will think about us. This isn't the only time, by the way, in the scripture these a similar things happen like this before. Um, in John chapter 12, this is about three chapters later, Jesus and the disciples have moved on and they're, they're out there, he's teaching and preaching and 
healing and doing miracles and all this great stuff is happening. And the Bible says that there were many that were watching this that didn't believe. Like, first of all, that blows my mind, that you could be in the actual presence of Jesus doing miracles, healing people, doing the stuff that Jesus does, and somehow, firsthand, eyewitness, and you don't believe. Now, there are people that are skeptics all over the place, but that just blows my mind that you could actually be there and not believe, but they didn't. There were some who just kind of blew it off, and I, I would imagine there are people here that probably are skeptical about some things as well. But here's what it says later. It says, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. So even some of these Jewish leaders have seen Jesus and they're believing, but watch this, but they wouldn't admit it for, the, for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. This is a sad commentary. And I just gotta wonder, in our own lives, do we love human praise more than the praise of God? Henry Nouwen, author, wrote this. At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, a little rejection makes me depressed, a little praise raises my spirit, and a little success excites me. Often, I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. You ever feel that way? Like, I want to please God, and yet there's this pull to kind of go along with what everybody's doing, and, and it's this tension that we live in every single day, and, and, and I think we can all relate to that boat on the sea that's being tossed about from one side to the other. Here's what I want to do. I want to please God. But man, the pressure to please people, to, to be liked, to be loved, be, to be wanted, to, to, to be approved, is so strong. It's an addiction. Like, I need another hit. I need, I need to know that you still like me. And that's a tough way to live. And you'll never find your identity that way. Because you weren't meant to find your identity that way. So, 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 so if you heard that and you go, man, that, that describes me to a T. Okay, what do we do? Well, let's look at what God-pleasers do, which is the second part, and then we get into baptisms, all right? Here's what God-pleasers, first question is. How can I honor God through this? How can I honor God through this? I mean, think about this. Faced with the same scenario, instead of the question is, how is this going to affect me, my reputation, my status, my position, the God-pleaser says, I'm going to set that aside. My first question is this. I'm in the same exact situation. How can I honor God through this? How can I bring glory to God through this situation? How can I bring glory to God through the way that I respond in this moment? That's what a God pleaser does. We have to decide, am I going to live for the applause of men or the applause of God? What we need to do is we need to focus on the audience of one. He's the one that we, that we live for, and that ought to be our first question. And you have, here's our choice every single day. Your choice, my choice, every single day when we wake up, we have a choice. I can live my life either to, to impress, right, to, to make an impression, or I can live my life to make an impact. If I live my life to make an impression, that's about people-pleasing. How are others going to perceive me? I'm trying to make an impression so that you like me, so that I can find my identity in, in that. I can make an impression. 
or I can make an impact. That's when I wake up and say, how can I respond to every situation today that comes my way and follow God through that, to bring honor to God through that? That's how you make impact. That's how we, but it's only through the audience of one. When we say, you know what? Yes, I care what others think about me. I want to have a good reputation. That's fine, but not at the expense of, of, of not honoring God through this. My first question has to be different. It has to look different. I have to respond differently. And think about this. That means all decisions. All decisions. So instead of saying, how's this going to affect me, how's this going to honor God? Let me give you some examples. Let's just say you, you, tomorrow you go into work and your boss says, man, you're doing a great job. I'm going to give you a promotion. Well, that's great news, right? But the first question that most of us would ask at that point is, how's this going to affect me? Like, wow, this is good because now I'm going to have a better position. I'm going to have a little more status. I'm going to have a little more money. I'm going to have a little more power. I'm going to be able to manage others. And so it's all about through the lens of, of how this affects me. But the first question ought to be, well, wait a second. Before I say yes to that promotion, what's that going to do to my life spiritually? Like, like are you, so, so now you're saying if I take this position, I'm going to have to miss Sundays. I mean, I have to work Sundays so I no longer can go to church. So I've got this dilemma on my hand. So the first question really needs to be, how's this going to honor God? Well, that decision now is, is, looks a little different, doesn't it? How about when it comes to relationships, dating, marriage? First question, how is either going to be, how's this going to affect me? Or is this going to honor God? When the filter changes, then life looks differently. When I start thinking, okay, how is this going to, how is this going to bring glory to God? Or will this bring glory to God in this moment with this decision? Rather than, wow, how is this going to affect me? That's the difference. And it's hard to do. Again, I can make an impression or I can make an impact. I've got to make a decision which one I'm going to do. In the Old Testament, and by the way, when you make these decisions and you say, I'm going to honor God, you're not going to, that's not always going to be popular with your friends and family. I can just tell you that now. Just, just heads up. Like when you just start living as a God pleaser, you're not always going to get the applause of men any longer. It just doesn't work. You got to make that decision who you're living for. If you look at the Old Testament, the way that God spoke was through these prophets. A prophet was basically the mouthpiece of God. And so in the Old Testament, what would happen? The nation of Israel, those were God's people. They would be worshiping God. Things would be going good. And then they kind of would stray away. And the next thing you know, they're worshiping other gods. And God would say, okay, here, prophet, whatever, whichever prophet it was, I want you to go to my people. And I want you to pronounce, you know, they, they, need, to, they need to repent or there's going to be some, there's going to be some hard times ahead. And so that's a tough message to deliver. So the prophet would go to the people and say, hey, here's what God says. You guys, are really, you, you guys have turned your back on God, and you're going to face judgment if you don't repent of this and turn back to God. That's not a, it's never popular to tell people what they're doing is wrong. And people took those prophets. Again, God sent them because he didn't want to have to pronounce judgment on them. He, wanted, they were, he was hoping that they would say, whoa, you're right, we'll come back. But they wouldn't. Instead, they would kill the prophets. They would have the prophets jailed because they didn't want to hear it. So when you become a God pleaser, you may not please everyone. But that's the difference. When you're a God pleaser, it's, that's secondary. It's secondary. So let, let, me, let me show you 
as we go back to this story, um, this guy, right? Because I'm, this guy, to me, is pretty amazing. Because nobody except Jesus really ever stood up to the Pharisees. Like, you read through the scripture, everybody was, like, scared of these guys. But this guy is, like, in their face because he's such a God-pleaser. And so it says this, for the second time, they called in the man who'd been blind and, and told him, God should get the glory for this. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Well, they didn't really know anything, did they? And he says this, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind, and now I can see. Now, th this is great, because there's something here. For a lot of us, when we give our life to Jesus, we don't know really tons about what just happened. Like, we just knew that God was calling us somehow, and sometimes someone, you're, you have this fear that someone's going to ask you about that and you're going to ask you to quote some scripture and you're like, I don't know all that. All I, but here's what your answer needs to be. I don't know. All I know is I was spiritually blind, but now I can see. I was spiritually dead, but now I'm alive. I was spiritually lost, but now I'm found. I don't know exactly how it worked. All I know is that my life has been changed. I'm a new creation in Christ and I can't explain it other than that. And this is what the guy said. He said, I don't know what happened, but I do know this. I used to be blind about 10 minutes ago, but now I can see. That I know. Like I was blind for 21 years or however old he is. And as of just meeting this guy named Jesus, and again, I don't know who he is, but I know this, he changed my life. And that changed everything. See, now he's got this boldness. And of course, then they excommunicate him. The very thing his parents were afraid of. He didn't care. He didn't care because he's a God pleaser. So later on, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now he's going to kind of identify himself a little bit to the guy because he says, I don't really know who this guy is. So Jesus said, let me show you who I am. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. Beyond the, the physical sight, he has got the spiritual sight now, and his life is totally different. Not everybody's going to like you when you do this stuff. I mean, his parents, there was a wedge right there in that relationship, right? You, you know that happened because they probably couldn't even, they probably couldn't even be around him anymore because he was going to, you know, the Pharisees were so mad at this guy. But they both, at that day, they drove a stake in the, in the ground, didn't they? Both of them. The parents did because they said, we're, we would, we're going to choose the side of, of the applause of men. Our reputation, our status, our position. We're going to drive this stake in the ground. This, we're, going to be, we're making this decision right now. We're, going to, we're living for the impression. But this guy said, I'm living for the impact. He drove a stake in the ground and said, I don't really care about what others think. You can throw me out of the synagogue, but I'm following Jesus. And his life has radically changed. In Luke chapter 7, we see something play out again. And, and I, let me just paraphrase it. I know that, that we've got the scripture up here. We're gonna, I'll just, I'm going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. There's a woman. The Bible doesn't really let us know who she is. She's described as a certain immoral woman. Um, and, and Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's home for a, for a little get-together. And Jesus goes there. Again, the Pharisees, religious guys, the pious guys. Jesus goes there, and when he's there, this woman comes in, this immoral woman, probably a prostitute, comes in, 
and she really doesn't care about her reputation, what others think in this moment, status, any of that stuff. She goes in while Jesus is at this table and, and has this alabaster jar filled with this expensive perfume, and she breaks it open and starts pouring the perfume on his feet, and the tears are flowing, and she's washing uh, her with her tears in the, in, the, in the oil up in the alabaster perfume, all of that's in there, and then she's drying it with her hair. It's just like a really awkward moment, probably, but Jesus was like, the, and the Pharisee, the Bible says, is thinking to himself, if he really was the Messiah, he would recognize how bad this woman is, and he wouldn't let her do that. And the Bible says that Jesus answered the man's thoughts and said this. He said, you know, when I came in, you didn't bother to, to serve me, to, to wash my feet, which was customary back then. But she's come in, and she hasn't stopped since she's been here. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. See, when you become a God-pleaser, you really don't care what others think. It's all about the audience of one. Now, again, that's not to mean you don't care at all what others think. I don't mean to imply that because there, 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 is, uh, there is that fine line. I'm going to explain how to find that balance in just a second. But I want to share what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians about this whole idea of being a, a people-pleaser or a God-pleaser. He said, and if you know his story again, he was very bold in his proclamation of the gospel message about Jesus. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If, people, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, they don't, they don't, if you're going to please people, you're never going to please God. If your first question is, how is it going to affect me, you're never going to please God. The first question has to be, how does this please God? How does this honor God? How does this glorify God? So let me get back to that balance because we're thinking, well, I don't want to be a jerk. No, no, we don't want to be a jerk, right? So it's not that we don't really care that what people think about. We, we want, look, I want, let me just say this. I, I want you to like me. Like I really do. I like you. I hope you like me. No, I really want you to like me. <laughs> I, I really love you guys, but I know this, that there are, be, there are times where I have to set that aside. Like, I want you to like me, and I want you to love me, but at the end of the day, my mission and what I've been called to do is proclaim truth, right? And sometimes, when truth is presented, it's hard to hear. Like, there are things in Scripture that when, when, when people hear it, um, they don't like the messenger because of the message. But that's okay. I'm good with that, if that's the case, because that simply means God's got you some sort of conviction in your life, right? And you're just trying to take it out on me, when you're real issues with God. And I'm gonna tell you something, the word of God is, is, is a, a, a very, very powerful thing. We're, gonna, we're actually gonna do a whole series on the Bible coming up, I can't wait, that's, that's coming soon. But it's very powerful, which means anytime the message of, of, of the gospel, of, of the cross is presented, the Bible says that, that that's uh, offensive to many people. But there are a lot of things in our world right now, if you think about it, that the Bible is in contradiction to culture. Have you noticed that? Last week I talked about gender identity just for a moment, I mentioned that. And, and that's an issue that obviously the, the Bible says something different than culture says. But we have to err on the side of, of the Bible in those cases. And there are a lot of those kind of things, but my point is this, that there are times 
where we have to say, I know that this won't be popular with anything. That's why the Apostle Paul said, if I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. I wouldn't be a messenger of the gospel because I can't. Look, the, the gospel is offensive because it calls people out. It's like the prophets in the Old Testament. They called people out. And that didn't, you know, they, they killed the messenger. But that's, that's, that comes with the territory. Now, let me just say this. Again, we gotta strike a balance. We don't wanna be jerks. We don't wanna be offensive for the sake of being offensive, right? That's not, that's not, in fact, just the opposite the Bible teaches. So where do we look? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Because think about Jesus' life. Everything he did, right, was never about himself. It was never, he never asked that first question, how is it gonna affect me? My reputation, my status, he never asked that. In fact, every time you see Jesus, he was always deferring to the Father's will, wasn't he? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, right? But Jesus also loved people, and he cared about people, and he reached out to people. He wasn't a people pleaser, though. Here's what it says about Jesus. In Luke chapter 2. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Notice the order. In favor with God and man. Jesus had the perfect balance. He, first and foremost, right? He, he, he is God in flesh. He submitted to God. His, he, he grew in, in, in his favor with God and with man. So he built relationships on both sides of the of, of, of that. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We ought to be building those things. In a minute, listen, in a minute, we're going to be doing baptisms. In a few minutes, we're going to be doing baptisms. And this opportunity, if you think about this, every time we do this, baptism is a public demonstration of your faith. It's what people see. You, you can give your life to Jesus, which you should do, but we can't see that. We might see the evidence of that if your life's changed. But this is the way the Bible says this is our, this is our coming out party. This is where we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, I want to declare that publicly. And every time we do a baptism, there's that wrestling for many of you, right? It's the wrestling. What, is, what are people going to think about me? I'm going to feel really awkward, and it's all about us. Like, how's I'm going to feel about this? Well, first of all, you're going to feel awesome once you are obedient to God. But in that moment, right, it's that tension of like, if I actually do that, like, how's that gonna affect my reputation? Everybody thought I had it all together? Look, if you had it all together, you wouldn't need Jesus, right? None of us have it all together. That's why we, that we need Jesus. So, so nobody thinks you've got it all together anyways. But we have all these things in our mind that are going on that are preventing us every time we do a baptism, and it's always about us. How's this going to affect me? Instead of saying, God, how's this going to honor you? That's what you, I want to be, you're, the audience of one, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm going to be obedient to God. Some of us, every time an invitation is given to say, hey, give your life to Jesus, the same thought. Well, if I do that, what are people going to think about? Who cares what people think about you? What you need to do is care about what God thinks about you. He loves you. That's why he sent Jesus, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Guys, let's, let's not make this more complicated than it needs to be. Give your heart and life to Jesus. Follow Jesus. First question, how's this going to bring honor to God? So let me pray for you. If you're in that, kind of that 
feeling that tension. Lord God, I know that there are people, every time we give an invitation, there's that tension. I remember that tension myself. There's that tension. What am I going to do? And it's always, always usually comes back to something about us that's preventing. It's not you. You desire us to be in relationship with you. You sent Jesus to prove that. So if you're here today and you're just saying, you know what, today I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care how that's going to affect any of my reputation, position, or status. What I care about is pleasing God. I realize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And I, I want, I'm, I'm excited about honoring you, God. And I want to be saved today. And I believe you are the Messiah. And I'm placing my faith in you today. And if that's you right now, I want you to just raise your hand. Don't worry about what people think. Don't look, look around. Oh, what am I going to say if I raise, raise your hand? Like, no, that's what I want. I want Jesus. I want to honor God with my life. That's what I want. And I'm willing to lay my life down and commit my life to Jesus. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If that was you, maybe just offer a prayer like this. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Thank you that you love me enough to die on a cross for, that, for my sin. And I'm placing my faith in you. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. God, now I want to pray for those who may be I know we've got people already planning to be baptized, but there are a bunch of people in here that have placed their faith in Jesus, maybe just now. And their next step is to, is to follow through publicly, declaring their faith in you. And for those people who right now are doing that, kind of going through that tension and squirming a little bit in their seats, Lord, just work in their heart and show them that anytime they step out and honor you, there's always blessings that follow. And they're amongst friends, and, and, and nobody's going to look down on them. Everybody's going to celebrate that decision. So I pray that today that would be the day they say, you know what, my first question is how can I honor God? Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, for your love, for what you're going to do in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray.